0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Promising news that Moderna's coronavirus vaccine is a stunning 94.5% effective.
1: We have two vaccines that are really quite effective. So I think this is a really strong step forward to where we want to be about getting control of this outbreak.
2: This week, Moderna announced positive preliminary results for its COVID-19 vaccine. This comes just a week after Pfizer released similar data suggesting their vaccine is more than 90% effective. No matter how you look at it, this is good news, no doubt about it. But it does raise the next logical question. When a vaccine becomes available, who's going to get it first? President Trump has said that states should prioritize frontline workers, the elderly, and high-risk Americans. But if you do the math, those groups could easily add up to more than the number of doses that will be immediately available if one or even both of these vaccines are authorized. On top of that, there is a complex distribution plan to be sorted out. One major hurdle, for example, is that Pfizer's vaccine in particular must be kept at extremely cold temperatures until it's ready to be administered, so low that not every healthcare facility has the proper equipment to store it. Today, we'll look at the factors the government will have to weigh when determining where and to whom the vaccine will go first. We're also going to examine the big question that must be answered about distributing the vaccine globally. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, fact versus fiction.
1: Well, you know, that issue divides in two ways. One is, are we gonna have supplies of vaccine that we share with the world? And then the second part is, okay, if we kept them here at home, who's going first among Americans?
2: Art Kaplan is a professor of bioethics at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. He is one of the nation's leading bioethicists and someone whose opinion I really value. So I wanted to cut right to the chase and ask him, who should get this vaccine first, both here in the United States and around the world? So let's look at the
1: first issue about, I'll call it vaccine nationalism. Are we going to keep our own supply? A lot of people say, look, If you had something that controlled infection, there would be a case to share it worldwide because you're trying to tamp out hotspots and prevent transmission back here, and I get that. But if these vaccines look like, or at least we know, that they're going to prevent symptoms and maybe progression to death or hospitalization, I think the case gets strong then for using the vaccine supply here. Morally, I think it makes sense to try and prevent deaths here among the high risk folks before we start sharing. If it helps prevent spread, then we can look at hotspots and sort of get into an argument about, you know, how can we tamp this epidemic down worldwide? So having said that, all right, I'll take the bait and go to the who goes first among (laughs) Americans. The big, big moral question of the year, I suspect. The first group to go it has to be your hospital workers on the front lines, not just any doctor, any nurse, but ER docs, people who are working in the ICUs, people who have heavy exposure to sick patients because uh, you don't want the healthcare system to fall apart. So I say they have to go first, but they need help to do their jobs. They need people to clean the rooms. They need people to make food. They need people to run the, make sure the hospital operates you're going to have to reach out and give those folks vaccinations, and even though they're not directly exposed, you know you got to protect them if you're going to run this place. So I think we're going to see some rationing or triage among healthcare workers. You also know Sanjay, and listeners uh, have to understand that this vaccine requires serious refrigeration. Part of where who's going to get it is where the refrigerators are. So the sh- the summary answer is. It's going to be places that have refrigeration or special centers and healthcare workers and their support folks. And I think that's going to burn up the supply way into March and April.
2: What we have seen play out, even with regard to testing and things like that in the past, is that it's—and ventilators, it, it became this sort of, you know, people bidding on these things at the state level. There wasn't a national strategy here. I mean, my parents live in Florida. There's people in the Northeast. Uh, so I don't know if you have a thought on that, but how should that play out? Do, do states have to bid for this? Is it we have X percentage of the healthcare workers in workers of the country here? What, what would you say?
1: Well, I'm going to say states will be given allotments, and I hope that's coordinated out of the White House. I have a feeling that's going to be more Health and Human Services, the department, with advice from CDC about how to get the maximum bang for the buck. But even if a state like Idaho or Montana gets an allotment, if they have no refrigeration, then I don't think they're going to be able to take their allotment, or they shouldn't. It's it's not going Mm. to be practical for them to uh, use it. So I think what we're gonna see is coordination between states and the military, which Trump set up to help distribute. There's been some talk that you know they'll work with pharmacies and big box pharmacy chains to disseminate this. I don't see it, they don't have the refrigeration, that's not the first wave. Hmm. First wave is the army gets the refrigerator to some site in Idaho, some site in Utah, and then people are going to have to go there to get vaccinated.
2: My guess is you would then start looking at people who are at high risk. Is that right? The elderly and people with, would it make sense to vaccinate everyone above a certain age first? I mean, how would you approach that?
1: I think uh, at that point, you're really trying to get vaccine to the elderly particularly high-risk elderly, people with chronic illness, people with disabilities seem to die at the highest rate. So I think they need protection. Then you're also looking at folks, I think, who are in the meatpacking industry. we have seen big outbreaks there. Some neighborhoods in the U.S. have been particularly heavily hit where I think healthcare is poor. I think that wipes out the next wave of vaccination. So I'm thinking for the average person, they're really not going to see it till the summer. Or the fall. Now, that may sound bad, but if you got these other folks protected and you balance the healthcare system so it's not overwhelmed, those are not small achievements. That's why I come back to my perhaps unusual
2: optimism. You are striking a note of optimism. I have felt that way too. I, although I got to tell you there's so many days over this past year I wake up with a pit in my stomach or I just I just like it's it's hard to fathom sort of what is happening. One thing we do know as well is that there are certain demographics in this country, black, latino, native americans that have been hit disproportionately hard by this virus. Hospitalization rates over four times that of of white america. What are the ethical implications of prioritizing this vaccine for some races over others?
1: I don't think we prioritize by race. What I think we do is we prioritize by poverty and race so that the groups that seem to be getting really hit terribly hard by this virus, if you're a wealthy uh, African-American person in the suburbs of uh, Atlanta, I don't think you're at greater risk because of race than you would be if you were a white wealthy resident in the suburbs of Atlanta. But what I do think is true is that poor minorities are getting clobbered. So that's what you have to watch. I don't see it as race-based. And I'm a little nervous when people start saying, oh, it's race, because then people start to say, well, there must be some biological difference. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we know, or there's no evidence for that. It's poverty, really, that drives this, and that really adversely affects uh, minorities in the U.S. and we also know that we don't have a good healthcare system. So a lot of these folks have chronic diseases, comorbidities, as they say, other diseases, diabetes or hypertension, things that really uh, set them up for trouble if they do get infected. So we're paying the price, if you will, of poor healthcare for uh, many Americans,
2: and it's racial. So. With the states, do you think the states ultimately should all be able to then come up with their own distribution plans for this vaccine? Or should there be a national strategy that says this is, you know, like we do with other things, 70-year-old plus with these comorbidities, here's where you rank. If you're younger than that, here's where you rank, whatever it may be. Should that be national or state?
1: I think it should be national because I think it'll get more support. What you see is when you're trying to distribute something, a scarce resource, whether it's vaccines or a world that I came out of, organs for transplant, where people forget we've been rationing for 50 years, you need to do two things. You have to be transparent. So people need to know what are the rules. And they don't like inconsistencies. They don't like thinking, well, I'm in Delaware, but if I went to New Jersey, I could get this, but I can't get it here because Delaware is operating differently than New Jersey, That breeds distrust, that breeds anger. The other thing is then you need to have your substantive rules, aside from being transparent and consistent, that says, here's why we're giving it to the elderly, here's why we're giving it to nursing home staff first, here's why we're giving it to high-risk groups first, because this vaccine, let's just say, protects against death, if you get it, but it's not that great against protecting against infection, so we've made the rules up that way. I don't think it's smart to have a lot of state-by-state variation.
2: Then, going back to this global thing, there's an international effort, as you know, called COVAX. 170 countries basically signed on to pool their resources to find a vaccine, the idea being that every country who participates then has equal access proportionally to the vaccine. The United States is not a participant in COVAX. What What do you make of that decision,
1: well, I think vaccine nationalism drove the Trump administration's policy, and they had no interest in WHO, they had no interest in sharing, and they had they been reelected, there's no question in my mind that the position I articulated, which was initial use in the U.S., primarily of vaccine supply, would have been their policy. If we had something that really worked to control infection, let's just say that it did both, then I think you're going to see sharing. I think the U.S. will participate in that. Again, it starts to become in our self-interest. What I'm not sure I could support is just equal sharing among nations if there are hot spots and if there are other places that aren't. That doesn't make any sense. What you've got to do, it's like fighting fires, uh, forest fires. You want to make sure you're putting out the brush fires so they don't become raging fires, sadly, like we see now in the U.S. and some other countries. So you want to target your vaccine supplies, where it makes the most sense, prevent the most deaths, control the most infectious spread. But I wouldn't worry too much about the U.S. not being a part of COVAX. I think we'll be back in the WHO. I think we'll be back trying to cooperate, uh, certainly after January 20th.
2: You can expect to hear a lot more about potential vaccines in the coming weeks and months. We'll hear which, if any, gets emergency use authorization or even outright approval, what the data tells us about their safety and effectiveness, and then the plans for getting those vaccines to the public, and how all of this will be happening as the United States prepares to transition to a new presidential administration. There's a lot that still needs to be figured out. It's gonna require cooperation at all levels of government and all across the country's complicated healthcare system. It's gonna require a lot of patience from all of us as well. In the meantime, we do need to follow the same public health recommendations I've been repeating for months, because it really works to wear a mask, keep your distance, wash your hands. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be optimistic. In fact, maybe we should be more optimistic than we've been in a long time. But as the country continues to set new records for infections and hospitalizations due to this virus, We do need to remember that this pandemic is still very much here. Yes, we are closer to the end. Yes, hope looms on the horizon. But we have a ways to go, and it will require participation from all of us to get to the end as safely as possible. All of us could save a lot of lives. If you have any questions for me, please send a voice memo to asksanjay at cnn.com. You might hear it on an upcoming podcast.